following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Okay, um, I know that, that, I know this just for a fact, not just knowing people here, but knowing the part of the country and the part of the world that we live in, that we live in a kind of a car crazy part of the world. All right. Um, there's a reason why car shows are often huge in this in this area. Um, there's a reason why they started the the um, kind of the street drag, no prep street drag thing a few years ago, and it was huge as well in this part of the country. It's it's just kind of a big deal. Um, I'm, I come from a drag race in my family. My dad's been drag racing since 1990. I drag raced a little bit in college myself with the old beat up nasty 1970 Camaro that's going to look good one of these days all right it's going to um but I will tell you in the hot rod world and I know there's some of you right now who could understand this who are in this room right now that in the hot rod world there's nothing quite like the sleeper all right And, and if you don't understand what I mean by that it's this it's a vehicle that does not look like it would be anything that is fast at all. That's why it's called sleeper, all right? And yet it is quick, okay? Now, not quick in any such way that anybody would do anything illegal in it because hot rodders don't do that, all right? But that's just something that's kind of captivating to those who are a part of that world, the sleeper. But there are other types of sleepers. Did you know that a baby, yes, those cute little snuggly things, all right? A baby can clear a room in a New York minute. Do I have to go into details about what I'm talking about here, all right? You begin, what, what was that? Oh, okay. Dad, mom, you can take care of that for us, please? Not in here would be great. You can go. There's places for that sort of thing, all right? They have changing room tables in men's public restrooms these days. I know because this world is very equal. Because guys change just as many diapers as the gals, Lindsay. They do. What are you looking at me like that for? Come on, Zed. <laughs> all right, yeah, a baby can clear a room in a heartbeat. An interesting thing about it, some people never lose that ability. Now, we won't talk about that anymore, Okay. But today, what we are going to look at in Luke chapter 13 is this. We're going to look at unseen power. Unseen power. Now, to set this up just a little, we're diving right in the middle of of the gospel of Luke here. And and to set that up just a little bit, we, we need to understand something about the gospel writers. What I mean by that is the first four books of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all narratives about Jesus' life written from the perspective of four different people. And all of these four different people had four different... Now, I shouldn't say that. Each person had a different audience that they were trying to get this message conveyed to. And that's why sometimes you see in the Gospels, some of these guys have no sense of, of... schedule whatsoever. They're like just all over the place. Um, Mark is a little bit like that. It's like boom here, boom here, boom here. Then you have some that are a little more chronological. You know, Luke's a little bit like that. There's a reason for that. They were writing to different audiences and they had different themes in mind that influenced what they were writing. 
Okay? Now, Luke was writing very much to a Gentile, a non-Jew audience. And interestingly enough, it is Luke who highlights in a very big way several times in his, in his narrative that he wrote, Sabbath controversy. We're going to talk about that some today. Matter of fact, as I was studying for this passage, some of the commentators that I read and studying this week (laughs) said something along these lines. So here we go again, okay? Because it was once again, there was going to be Jesus against some religious leaders on the Sabbath day. Um, In Luke chapter 13, what is going on is Jesus was asked by a synagogue leader, a synagogue ruler, I mean, they didn't really have preachers in that day. It was, it was the Jewish religion. But a synagogue ruler wasn't really a rabbi, specifically a teacher. They were more of an official. But they would give messages at times. But if there was a rabbi nearby, maybe passing through or something, it was not unusual for a synagogue official, synagogue ruler, to ask rabbis visiting to give the message for the day. Now keep in mind, the Sabbath was not a Sunday. The Sabbath was a Saturday. Last day of the week, not the first day of the week. And um, so that's what took place here. Jesus kind of fit the bill of rabbi for sure. And not only was he a rabbi, he was a pretty popular one. And um, so he was asked by this synagogue ruler to speak. And oh boy, some crazy things happened as a result of that. We're going to look at Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin with verse 10. Luke 13, 10. third, Third book in your New Testament. It says this, and he, Jesus, and Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she have not been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and in the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Sabbath controversy. There is a reason why Luke touches on this again and again and again. So let's dig a little deeper into what, why the Sabbath and Jesus having these, these altercations with religious leaders was such an issue. The Sabbath, it's a part of the Ten Commandments. Matter of fact, it's the fourth commandment given by God to his people Israel through Moses. And the fourth one said this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, he then goes on into explanation in Exodus chapter 20 about the Sabbath and what is taking place here. And what he refers to, and what he uses as an example, is God created everything that we see in six days. And on the seventh day, he what? He rested. He rested. 
on the last day of that week. So there is a precedent set by God for this, for his people. Now, God set up this day of rest through Moses for, understand something, who these people were that Moses was giving this message to. It was Israel. They had just spent 400 plus years as what? Slaves in Egypt. Exactly right. Did they get any rest? Do you you get rest when you're a slave? No, you don't. Especially when you are building these incredible ancient structures for the king of the world, um, the, the god Pharaoh. Now, obviously, he was not a god, but that's what the Egyptian people felt like. That's what they believed. And they were the slaves there. And I, I would be willing to bet they did not get very many rest days. Okay, so God says this. He says, on the seventh day, you will rest. And God even said, God even gave them some, some help in this. He basically, and I'm paraphrasing some, all right? I'm summarizing and paraphrasing. He says this, you rest one day at the end of the week and I will help you make up for it on the other six days. So take a day off. And I'm telling you what, for everyone else in the room, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Is there anybody here who that sounds awful to, a day off? Anybody? Okay, I hope not, all right? It is a great thing. It does not sound awful. It sounds great. You see, God gives religious principles to his people, to them and to us today. When he gives these, he gives them as a gift, not a punishment. But the religious leaders took something good and they made it a burden. And they began adding and adding and adding to this list of Sabbath rules that had to be observed. To the point of this, if you broke a bone on the Sabbath day, I'm talking about a, a bone in your body, it was required that you wait till the next day to have that bone set. So if your leg's broken and like from here, it's, it's like going that way, Okay, anybody ever experienced that? I hope not, okay? But there might be a few in here who have. Okay, you're not gonna die. Just wait till tomorrow to get it straightened out. Can you imagine telling about that in the emergency room, Alexis? Sorry, folks, today's not the day. I don't even know why I'm here, okay? But tomorrow, we'll straighten your leg out for you. How does that sound? Here's a pain pill. <laughs> they didn't have pain pills back then, people. I mean, does that just sound crazy to you? That's just an example of the ridiculous burdens that these religious leaders had put upon this gift of God, making it not a gift, turning it into a burden. And all of this frustrated Jesus so much. And it was no secret that he frustrated, this frustrated him. As a matter of fact, some of Jesus' opponents tried to... Now, this doesn't seem to be the case today in this passage of Scripture. But there were times that they tried to set Jesus up because they knew he just couldn't help himself. He saw somebody suffering on the Sabbath and he's going to heal them. So they tried to set him up. I don't know why they did this because every time they did, they were humiliated. But yet they try again and again. Again, this time doesn't seem to be a setup. Jesus is giving the message and according to the passage for us, he's giving the message and he looks out and he sees this woman. He sees her suffering. He has compassion on her. He just, message stops. He goes to her. And he heals her. 
He freed this woman from her suffering and then proceeded to humiliate the cowardly synagogue ruler. Do you see what happens in here? Who does the, who does the synagogue ruler yell at? Does he yell at Jesus? No, because he was afraid of him, okay? He yells at the crowd, you'll come here get healed, it's a Sabbath day. Get healed tomorrow. You just let that bone stay like that. You just let it stay like that. One more day. It's not going to kill you. And this, the crowd is celebrating that this woman had been healed. And he tries to break up the party. And we see this happen again and again throughout Luke's narrative. Now I've got a question for you. All of that aside, that that gives us a picture of what's taking place here, okay? All of that aside, does anything about this look out of the ordinary? The medical language in the Greek has a name for the condition that this woman had. And we have a name for it today. Matter of fact, my sister suffers from a mild case of it compared to this woman. It's called scoliosis, a curvature of the spine. That's, that's what this woman had. It seems a normal enough physical abnormality. I know that sounds strange. But it seems pretty common. But does anything jump off this page at you at all? Why don't you, let's look again at verse 11. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness... And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Is that what it says? A sickness caused by a spirit. And then you jump down into verse 16. And Jesus explaining what has just taken place. Jesus says, This woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom who has bound for 18 long years? Satan. Does that just, that doesn't jump off the page at you a little bit? Before we get started in this today, and take a look closer look at this, we need to understand something. Of all of Jesus, the physical healings recorded in the Gospels, that Jesus took care of everything. I mean, there was all kinds of things that he healed, from, from blindness to paralysis. I mean... Lots of them, okay? Of all of those, over 25, of all of those, only seven of them had any connection whatsoever to the spiritual world. And that's important. We don't need to fall into the wrong thinking that every sickness and every disease is a direct result in this world of the work of Satan. But still, even that being said, we wonder, how is this possible? Why would, how and why would Satan do this? For 18 years, bring about a condition in a woman of what we call scoliosis. Well, it's not the only time that something physical is connected to Satan. Do you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's an example of the Apostle Paul himself. You see, the Apostle Paul was an incredible evangelist. He was a writer of a huge chunk of our New Testament that we have today. He was the, gen- the apostle to the Gentiles, the messenger sent by God to the Gentiles. Now, he wasn't the only one doing it, but he was given that title by Jesus himself. All right, This guy had seen visions of things that the human language cannot even 
is not even strong enough to convey what he saw in heavenly visions. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 12. So, Paul says, in order to keep me from exalting myself or getting a little too big-headed, there was sent to me a thorn in the flesh. And you're like, okay, I've heard about this before. And he went to God three times and asked for it to be real. Yeah, I've heard about that, preacher, but that's not all the details about this. This thorn in the flesh was, if you look closely, a messenger from Satan given to torment me. Does that sound a little strange? What about Job? One of the oldest books in our Old Testament. And Job, do you know how Job gets its start? Job gets his start that God and Satan were having a conversation and they made a, they made a bet. Now, that's not, you're not going to find the word bet in the Hebrew language, okay? But it's basically this. God saying to Satan, hey, have you ever seen my, my, my main man Job down there? He's a good guy, isn't he? And he says, well, the only reason he's good is because you won't let me touch him. God says, do whatever you want. Just don't hurt him. So Satan takes everything away. And God said, he hadn't rejected me. He stayed faithful. He's kept his integrity. Satan's like, just because you haven't let me touch him. Let me touch him physically and he'll turn his back on you in a heartbeat. God said, do whatever you want, just spare his life. Okay, incredible, incredible story. But does that just twist with your brain just a little bit there? That this conversation has even taken place between God and Satan? Guys, I have some questions about that. Questions that I don't know if can be answered. And there's other questions in scripture that we might have that I don't know if it can be answered. Oh my goodness, I just, that's crazy. I just turned right to the right page. That's great. It's great stuff. But I'll give you some time. Turn to Deuteronomy 29, 29. I didn't even have it marked. It just opened right up. That's cool. All right. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's fifth book in your Old Testament, fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy, number five. Thought it was six there for a second. Thought I, they don't teach math at Ozark. I'm sorry. They only teach accounting there. All right, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Guys, if you have some questions about some things written in Scripture that have not been answered, and you've gone to some of the best theologians out there to try to get an answer, and, and, and you just haven't gotten the answer you're looking for, there might be a reason for that. Okay. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. This is Moses again. And this is a great, man, this is, one, this is one worth underlining in your Bible and putting a star by it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. You know what that verse says? It says God has revealed some things to his people and some things God has not revealed. And if God has not revealed it, guess what? It's not revealed. We sometimes ask ourselves and ask others questions about things in scripture that are just a little confusing to us. 
And we try to dig deeper, and we, don't, we just seem to be spinning our wheels sometimes. If you haven't, I'm chasing a squirrel here just for a moment, okay? And then we'll come full circle. I don't know who said this, but I read it before and I wrote it down, okay? Because there's some wisdom to it. Because there's sometimes we try to dig when it's, there's, there's nothing there to find. If the text doesn't answer the questions we're asking, if this doesn't answer the questions we're asking, we're probably asking the wrong questions. Because when it comes to what's important in life, this reveals the answers. Does that make sense? Okay. So all that being said... We have something here that is a little puzzling to me. I just got to be straight with you. Satan and his power. Does Satan have power? Yes, he does. And his power is real. We are soon going to be starting a journey through a pretty good little chunk of, of the writing of the prophet Daniel. I'm really excited about that. Really excited. And... and you look at Daniel 10, there's something really interesting that, that takes place there. Daniel himself is trying to understand some mysteries of God. And, and, and he's going to God himself in his request to, to, to try to understand some of the visions that have been given to him. And, and he, he meets up in Daniel 10 with an angelic messenger, a messenger of God who is an angel. Okay? And the angelic messenger shows up to help Daniel out with these mysteries. And he says, look, Daniel, i got to tell you, as soon as you prayed, as soon as you prayed for help in understanding this vision, I was, I was dispatched. I was, I was told to leave my post and come to you and help. But, but I was delayed in coming because I had to do battle with some demonic princes. And I was by myself in battling these, this prince of Babylon. And, and I, 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 it, it delayed me. As a matter of fact, the Michael. Now, I'll tell you what. You start talking about an angel named Michael, and we're talking power here. He's like the chief, man. This is, this is the chief of staff. This is the general, whatever you want to call him, all right? Michael is up there. And he said, Michael had to come and assist me in the battle. And then I could get away and come to give you some insight into this vision that you have received. So, if you've got an angel, a powerful angel, who needs assistance from another angel to take care of a spiritual battle in order so that he can get away and answer some questions that Daniel had asked, that tells me something. Satan's power is real. It is real. But there's something else we need to understand about his power. His power is limited. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not omniscient. Satan is definitely not omnipotent. That means all-powerful in all these things. All-knowing, present everyone. Satan, Satan cannot be here tormenting some person in Central America and at the same time be over here in Australia doing the same. He can't. He, 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 he's, he is a created being, a spiritual being. And you know, it's interesting 
that sometimes within the church we give Satan way too much credit. The devil made me do it. Well, about that. I don't know about that. You must think pretty high and mighty of yourself if, if you're on the crosshairs of the prince of darkness, okay? We give Satan way too much credit. You know, it's interesting because James, the half-brother of Jesus, by the way, and the head elder of the church in Jerusalem, who also happened to write a pretty good chunk of very practical information for us in the New Testament near the end, entitled by his name, the book of James. And when we read there, we find out something about temptation and about us. Okay? Because because devil made me do it. No. James says, each one of you is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust and evil desires. Satan does have power, but his power is limited, and we should not give him more credit than he deserves. The follower of Christ is to be aware of Satan. I mean, Peter says that. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we need to be aware of him and his schemes, but not be fearful of him. Romans chapter 8 makes it very, very clear that Satan can do nothing to wrench a follower of Jesus from Jesus' grip. Jesus' grip is way too powerful. You see, most of Satan's power we experience, we experience it indirectly. Not directly, indirectly, because Satan is right there at the heart of what set us as mankind on a very dark path. When he came into that garden. And Adam and Eve fell to his schemes. And it changed this world in a bad way. And he is responsible for that. Along with Adam and Eve. So I guess in that way. Sickness and disease. All of it comes from Satan in a way. Indirectly. Because it wasn't a part of this world. Before that fall. And you see, Satan's biggest weapon today is still the same weapon that he used on Adam and Eve. And his biggest weapon is this. It's a simple lie. God cannot be trusted. Satan's weapon hasn't changed. It's still the number one arrow in his quiver. To whisper and to plead to people. God cannot be trusted. Satan's power. He does have power, yes. But in comparison to God's power, there is no comparison. God, his power, is absolutely absolute. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. You know what I had when I was just got out of college and I was working over at Altamont as, as a part-time youth minister? Um, I had a Dodge Omni. You ever know what Dodge Omni is? Beautiful little car. Beautiful little four-door hatchback. Looked like a tick on the back of a big dog's back. It's pretty much how I could describe it. All right? But you know the thing about that little car? It always started. It always went where I wanted it to go. And it got 46 miles to the gallon. 
did that have anything to do with him naming it Omni? I have no idea. But Omni means all. It means always. God always knows what's going on. Omniscient. His power, his power is beyond compare. He is all powerful. And he is everywhere. He is. At once. That's how God and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, can be in this presence and be in you all at the same time and be with the other person across the way of this room and in other church buildings throughout our land and this world as we speak because he's omnipresent. Guys, my little Dodge Omni was pretty reliable. There's nothing more reliable, nothing, than God and his power. Omni. Everything. There's one characteristic, though, of God that we tend to forget sometimes when when we begin to doubt in His care for us, perhaps, or His ability to resolve what's going on in our life. Have you been there before? God isn't afraid of our doubts. He's not. We tend to forget that God works on His own timing. Um, why don't you turn back to where we began as we wrap this up. Luke 13. I should have told you to stick a bookmark there or something. I apologize. Because we're not through with our passage here yet. We didn't read all of it. Because the day, according to Luke, did not end with Jesus and his altercation with this synagogue ruler. In verse 18 it says, So Jesus was saying, What is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid and three pecks of flour until all was leavened. Do you know how much dough they're talking about right here? (laughs) 60 pounds. 60 pounds of dough. That's a lot of bread, people. God compares, Jesus compares his kingdom to a tree and to yeast. That's an interesting thing to me. You see, Yeast being inserted into a lump of dough and causing that lump of dough to rise brings back many childhood memories for me. Because my grandma, man, she made the best rolls you ever eaten. I mean, I mean, she passed away in 1983. I was only seven years old, and I still, that's how good those rolls were. I still remember <laughs> being in that kitchen when she'd be kneading dough and she'd get done and she'd put that, that little, is it that little yellow and red packet? You know what it is? Yeah. And put that in there. Make those little lumps of roll. Just a little bit lump of dough and then she put it, she put it like this baking cloth thing over it. Now if you stood there and just watched it, probably wouldn't see much but if you go away for a while and come back that cloth would start to rise and I just remember that so much still don't understand how it works something about bacteria I mean I don't even want to know how it works 
I, I might be wrong there. If I am, tell me after the service. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how it works. It's a mystery. But I know this. You put a little bit in there, it makes the dough rise. It's going to happen, all right? Now, I do have a little more experience watching trees grow. Okay? It's a few years ago that I ordered these chestnut seeds and I put them in the refrigerator with just the right amount of stuff to keep them dry so they wouldn't mold all winter and, and watch those things. I take them out. If there's one starting to mold, throw it out, you know. And then the following spring, I got these root maker containers and put that seed in there, take care of it, water it for the next two years, let it grow out of there and then go plant it in the ground Oh my goodness, this process started five years ago. And guess how tall of the 12 chestnut trees I planted? Got three left, okay? And, and they're about this tall right now. <laughs> it takes time. In our passage here, we have a woman who suffered under the hand of Satan for how many years? 18 years. This woman is in the synagogue. She is a believer in God. And there's no telling how many times she asked for God to take care of this. 18 years of suffering before God freed her from her suffering. We must not ever forget that God alone sees the big picture and he works in his timing but he is at work in every one of his followers and he will perfect his work in you and me oh yeah folks there is unseen power at work all around us But more importantly, there's unseen power at work within us. To think that the maker of all of this resides in his people. Wow. 